A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was a youth pastor. And I loved being a youth pastor because you got a chance to um, really connect with kids who are just trying to figure out what do I want to be for the rest of my life. And one of the best events we always had was our annual youth retreat. We'd gather everyone up and we would uh, head away in the fall for our senior high youth and we'd take them to a local uh, Christian camp that, you know, they'd give us the run of it for the sort of the weekend and we'd play games and sports and, you know, run them ragged. We'd have great, awesome teachers that we'd fly in from all around the country uh, because this was a great chance for them to uh, really experience life change in Christ. It was a chance to connect them to Jesus, connect them to a caring community, uh, even way back when, when I was a youth pastor in Canada. And of course, uh, one of the things you want to do is uh, have opportunities for them to learn and grow, uh, even as they're, they're running, they're playing, uh, they're eating great food, they're getting exhausted. Uh, you want it to be one of the highlights of the year. One year, uh, one of our youth sponsors uh, led us through a team building exercise. You familiar with team building exercises? Maybe you've done them at work. Maybe you have a, a memory of a team building exercise that just went horribly wrong or that you didn't want to participate. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the, the work idea of, of when they hear, let's do a team building exercise. We're going to take everybody away for an afternoon and we're going to do this team building exercise. When you hear that, you kind of go, I've got other things I want to do. Well, it was no different for our youth group. It went as well as you might expect. There were some of our kids, you know, those alpha kids who immediately took charge and said, here's what we have to do. And to describe the event, what happened was, I, I think if I remember correctly, and it was, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, the idea was that there were, you were trapped on an island and that you had a certain limited number of resources in order to get off the island and, and back to the mainland somehow. And there was like a, a ladder and a skipping rope and, you know, a piece of gum and, you know, that, all that, that kind of stuff. And you had to creatively come up with a way to get everyone safe to the mainland. And like I said, it went as well as you might expect. We had the alpha people coming in and kind of taking charge and saying, this is what we need to do. And then there was infighting among them. There were immediately kids who were like, nope. I'm out of here. I'm gone. And they just wandered off. Uh, and there were some who listened at first and just listened and, and listened to the alpha leaders. And then they got kind of discouraged after the first or second attempt didn't work. And everybody, well, like I said, it went as well as you might expect. There was yelling. There was just blind obedience because like, okay, well, I'll do it. And then there was passive disobedience, there was outright disobedience, there was arguing, there was inability to follow directions, there was even sabotage. Some groups tried to get other groups to fail, and uh, sometimes there was even infighting, just trying to get people to fail from their own team so that they would be taught a lesson. It was awful. But it was great at the exact same time, because you and I both know that this is why good team building exercises exist, that corporations and companies bring their employees together to reveal weak points in the team culture that you can't see in the whirlwind of the day-to-day, -day, we've got to get our business done, but you can outside of that whirlwind 
and you can start to work on something called the culture of the organization. And they do this for a particular reason. Because if you have a bad team culture, if you have a bad work culture, then you have high employee turnover. People quitting left and right. And, and leaders and bosses and supervisors begin to lead through their authority. Do it because I'm the boss and I tell you to do it. And I told you to do it. And here's what I've learned about that principle and how it applies to us as Christians. What's true in the work world is also true in the church world. Culture matters. And if you have a bad church culture, people will quit. They'll quit left and right. Leaders will start to lead by saying, I'm in charge, I'm a leader, do what I say, versus through their influence or other means. And people will leave. Maybe not just the church, but maybe they leave their faith behind. As a matter of fact, people have pointed out that bad church cultures exist from both inside and outside the church, and they've written just numbers of books over the last 20, 30 years about church hypocrisy. That the church isn't everything of what it, would, what it could be. They're not modeling who they were meant to model. And that becomes a problem because when suffering comes, when challenges come, when sacrifices need to be made, when persecution comes, well, we see the same thing that I saw in that youth group team building exercise. Now, we learned last week that suffering is not necessarily a bad thing, that when we suffer for our faith, when we are persecuted because of our faith, we shouldn't run from that, but we should rejoice in that. And we learned last week that the reason we can do that is because it's proof to us that we're sacrificing for the right things, that we're sacrificing for Jesus. But we also learned that it's God testing us. And God testing us now is a good thing because that's like a midterm to get us ready for the final exam when we stand before him at the end of our lives, at the end of time, and give an account for the way that we have represented Jesus in the world, the way that we have responded to not only Jesus as our Savior, but as our Lord. We will give an account for that. And so God tests us. And what he does individually, this testing, is also something that he does for churches. In other words, God allows people to suffer in their church families, and God allows people to be tested and churches to be tested as a team-building exercise because he wants to reveal to us what is the culture that we need to have in order to be ready to stand before him to answer the question, did we really do everything we could in order to connect people to Jesus Christ and help them grow in a caring community? So what does a church need to have? What does a church need to have in order to help it to not only survive those moments of, of testing, of persecution, but to thrive in it, 
to rejoice in it, to be everything that God wants them to be. If you have a Bible nearby or you just like to read along on the screen, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 and check out what Peter said to the persecuted Christians in the, in the north edge of Turkey who were struggling with this same question. This, this is what he says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Let that sink in for a moment. A good church needs the right kind of people. A good church needs good kind of people. People who are elders, leaders of the church, those who are responsible for the development and the maturing of those within their care to be like Jesus Christ. And they need those people who are called elders, who are the official leaders of the church, to lead willingly by example to lead willingly by example. And the church needs to have good people who will follow that example without complaining, without arguing. It needs elders who will shepherd through serving. Now, I get it. We don't have shepherds today in, in Rochester. We just, we just don't. We don't have them really in, in North America in the way that we think of unless we think of like a, a cowboy or a rancher. One of the closest metaphors that we can come to, though, is a pet owner. Those who have pets. Now, I'm not saying that those who are in the church who are elders are, are like household pets. That's, that's not what I mean. But go with me on this metaphor for just a second. When you get an animal, when you adopt an animal from the pound, or when you go to a breeder and you are, are raising a championship animal, you care for it. You provide for it, not because you have to, but because you want to. They come to you in the middle of the night crying, and you'll maybe tell them, why can't you just go to sleep? But you'll check and see what's wrong. You make sure they have food and water available to them. You make sure they're taught and they're house trained so they don't leave messes where they're not supposed to leave messes. And you do it because they're your and I know the metaphor sounds really awful when we're talking about people, so, so don't get me wrong. But that's the metaphor that Peter is trying to use when he's saying, be a shepherd to the flock within your care. And lead, not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you see the value in people and you want them to connect to Jesus Christ and to grow in a caring community and you give them every opportunity to feed and grow and you give them exercise and you walk them rain or shine 
you play with them. When they come with the, the ball in their mouth, their tail wagging, and you know, that, that kind of idea, you let them interrupt what you want to do because you care so much for them. The reason I share this sort of a metaphor for us today to think about it without, in a derogatory sense, is that for a lot of people, our pets become like family members. And that's why it's so powerful that that's what we should be like. We should be willing to lead rather than have to lead. We should be eager to serve rather than eager to profit. In other words, we don't just stick our dog outside and, and make them guard the yard and never bring them in when it's too cold or too hot and never give them cover. We don't just use, we don't use people like that if we don't gain. We serve them. And then we lead them by example rather than by our authority. Our animals want to be near us because they aren't, not because they're commanded to be near us. It's the way shepherds would lead. They would gather the flock together and they would lead them to different pastures. They would lead them to water. They would guard them against safety, but they would encourage them to grow and they would provide safety and care. And as they walked, the sheep would follow because they trusted them. That's the kind of leaders that we need in the church. That's the kind of leader that I want to be. That's the kind of leader that our elders want to be. But not only that, Peter says that we need to have people who follow those leaders as well. People who, who follow by submitting to them. And I recognize that that's a pretty tough word. But we've learned all through this series about what it means to serve, to submit, and to sacrifice to earthly authority. That's what Peter's whole message is, that because Jesus is our living hope, we can serve those in authority. We can serve those slave masters, he would say, that, that are telling us to do these things, and we don't want to, but we serve them and go the extra mile so that we do godly good. Well, we can especially do that in a church where we have these kinds of leaders, where people willingly follow versus passively attend. They don't just consume, but they contribute. They're, they're not just there. They belong. And the leaders know that when times of trouble come, here's the people that they can call. And the, Peter says, you who are younger, that's everyone else. <laughs> Would have been that in a household church, in a church that's kind of uh, scattered and being persecuted, that maybe it was just one or two households that were gathering together. And in that culture, it would have been the older folks who were kind of setting the example. Or maybe there were traveling elders who would oversee a number of household churches. So everyone else submit and listen to them. Now, I've been in churches all my life. And no church does this perfectly. No church has perfect leadership, perfect elders who get it right all the time in following. And no church has perfect followers who say to their leaders, I know what you're asking me is going to cost me and I need to sacrifice for that, but I'm in simply because you asked. 
So why, why would we need this? Well, it's because we all struggle with team building. We all struggle with what's being revealed when we get into a problem. One of the things that happens when there's issues in churches, when there's issues in God's family, is that we like to look for someone to blame. We like to look for someone whose fault it is so that we can go after them and make them repent. And sometimes there is sin in the church, but sometimes... It's our unwillingness to look inward and to look at what I might be contributing to the problem of why our church is struggling to thrive during this moment of suffering, during this moment of persecution. Last week we learned that our response was not to be running from the testing that God brings. But to consider it something that we can find joy in because if God is testing us, it means that he has something that he wants to refine in us, something that he wants to reveal in us, whether we're a leader or whether we're a follower. And we need each other. But what this means is this. Every person has an individual responsibility to decide how they will respond in their local church. Every person has an individual responsibility. The elders have a responsibility to say, well, this is a time of suffering and I didn't sign up for this. But I am called to this. And so I will lead through it. I will set an example that others can follow. That's what our elders do. And our followers say, you know what? This is really tough, but I'm not going to cut and run. Those who are coming to church don't say, well, you know what? Things are kind of a struggle right now, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to follow. And that each one of us has to decide our own level of responsibility. I read recently something that kind of shook me uh, to my core a little bit because I've experienced this on, uh, I've experienced the challenge of leading by example in churches and I've experienced the challenge of following our leaders when I didn't necessarily agree with them. (laughs) Um, And I really did appreciate what Dr. Stumbo did in his video blog where he apologized for the times that he failed to lead. But he also challenged those who are individuals in the Alliance family, what are we going to do? What I learned most recently, and it has been something that I've experienced in churches all my life, in this, is this. The hardest person to lead is yourself. The hardest person to lead is yourself. When things go wrong in churches, when things go wrong in organizations, we want to say, this is the problem out there. That's what we want to do with the problems of of racism and racial injustice. The problem is out there. I couldn't possibly be part of the problem. And Peter says, wait, 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 wait. 
The hardest person to lead is yourself. So are you doing everything you can in your local church family to be part of a solution? Elder, are you leading by example, willingly shepherding through that example? And are you following the example that our elders are setting? How do we do that? How do we decide and have that kind of an attitude so that the church has what it needs to thrive in times of persecution? Well, Peter continues in chapter 5 to say this. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Humility is the key. And the best way that we can lead ourselves so that our church has elders who shepherd willingly by their example and has followers who follow willingly is through humbling ourselves. A great quote I read about this passage said that the challenge of humility is especially great in a time of persecution for the consequences may incite elders to, to abuse power, to lead through authority, or believers to rebel against church leadership. But God gives grace to those who are willing to humble themselves for the sake of Christ and the flock, the local church, the family. And God allows the church to survive and thrive, even in times of persecution. What is humility? What does it mean to humble ourselves? Well, I think humility is simply this. It's the difference between standing for God and standing as God. It's the difference between representing God or replacing God. Now, we want humility because God stands against those who say, here's my authority. When we stand as God, God takes offense to that. There is only one God, and we make a poor one. And so he says, desire humility. We want humility in our lives. So how do we have that? Well, I think the verses kind of give that away. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. In other words, humility is a gospel understanding of who you are before God. When I was younger, I was uh, taught sort of a, a great way to think about who I am before God, to have this kind of humility that 
God didn't do something that I deserved, but that God loved me in spite of what I deserved. It was a come to Jesus moment, so to speak, and we all need to have that. But there was a sort of a, a memory game that I was taught to play, and it was based around the word Christian. And we were taught to describe ourselves, I am a Christian. When I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a Christian. But if you take Christ out of that word, you are left with three letters, I-A-N, which stood for I am nothing. And the point of doing that was to say that without Christ, I am nothing. That's a humbling thought. That without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, without a God who loved us, without Jesus obeying his heavenly Father's command to take our sin on his shoulders, we are nothing. We don't bring anything to the table that God says, gosh, I can't live without that. Instead, what Jesus demonstrates is that God came to the table and said, I don't want to live without you. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. That's humbling. That's sobering. And that's motivational. Humbling ourselves means regularly having a come-to-Jesus moment, remembering that without Christ, we are nothing. It is a gospel understanding of who we are before God. But secondly, humility also is a gospel response to what we're facing in life, to what others are facing in life. We need to have a gospel response to what others are facing in life. Again, Peter would say, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Not only do we have to have a come to Jesus moment, we need to have a trust in Jesus moment where we recognize that the greatest enemy that we ever faced has been conquered. And if God loves us enough to deal with the greatest threat to our existence, our sin, then he will certainly take care of the little things. Our issue is that we often get things kind of blown out of proportion. We think that living in this moment now is the greatest threat that we will ever face. And it's not. And we learned right from the very beginning of our series that if God loved us enough to deal with our sin, then God loves us enough to care for the little things, the little troubles, the little suffering that we'll face in our lives. You know what humility is? Humility is oil. Humility is oil that keeps the engine of the church running, that keeps you it keeps you and your church family doing more than just survive, but thrive. Here are some questions that you can wrestle with with who you're watching with today and you'll wrestle with in your growth groups this week. Question one. What do you think of 
when you think of humility. Question two. When you think of a time when you were personally humbled, how did that end up motivating you to change? Question three. What is one specific action step you can take to develop Christ-like humility towards your church family? Humility is the oil that allows leadership to run and shepherd well and humility is the oil that allows those they are shepherding to follow willingly. And when we have those kinds of good, humble people, a church that is struggling, that is being persecuted because of their faith, and people in that church that are struggling and are being persecuted because of their faith will have not only what it takes just to merely survive, but to thrive. The hardest person to lead is yourself. What will you do to lead yourself towards humility like Jesus? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I recognize the irony in this passage. As an elder, as a pastor, as a leader in this local church, because there have been times when I have failed to have the humility that allows us not only to survive, but to thrive. Would you forgive me? And Lord, for, for our elders, for those, for those who call our church home, for those that call themselves Christians, Would you help us to remember that humility is truly the oil that helps us to reduce the friction in trying, troubling times of persecution? Lord, would you give us the understanding that when things aren't going quite the way we would like at church, there's a chance that it may be a test from you to refine us as your people, as your church. And then would you help us, God, to lead ourselves well, to have a come-to-Jesus moment, and to have a trust-in-Jesus moment. that we might have a gospel understanding of who we are before you and a gospel response of how to live. Would you help us to humble ourselves before you 
and before others. And would you help our church to be everything that you've called us to be as we commit to connecting people to your son, Jesus Christ, and growing in a caring community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.